Well, good morning. Welcome. Thank you for joining us uh, this morning, this beautiful day that the Lord created. If you're new with this, I just want to extend a special welcome and thank you. I encourage you to stop by the welcome table or the, or the place just outside the doors there. Uh, just a reminder, this, not today, but next week, we're going to start a membership class. And so if you're interested in knowing what it involves being a member of Walnut Creek Church, uh, I encourage you to go online and sign up. It's a four-week class, and we're going to meet Sunday afternoons here at the church from 2 to 3.30. If you have any questions, feel free to talk to uh, one of the pastors um, if you're unsure about this. Um, if we've not had a chance to meet, my name is Mike Borland. I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors here. If you don't know, my wife and I, we've been blessed with seven children and uh, four grandchildren, which is a lot of fun. So, Also, <clears throat> just a reminder, too, in a few days, our country will be celebrating 247 years of independence and so even with all of the problems and issues in our country, we really are blessed to live in this country with all the freedoms that we enjoy. And just a reminder, too, that freedom is not free. And if anyone out there has served in our military, just want to extend a, a thank you to you and to your families. Um, you know, it is such a sacrifice. And just encourage you, too, if you know somebody who is in the military, who served in the military, to just take the time to thank them for um, just the freedoms and their service to our country. So uh, today we're going to continue in our series in Genesis. We've been going through it for a while. We're in Genesis 18. Uh, we're at the point where Abraham has this interaction with God over Sodom and Gomorrah. Before we read the passage, just want to share a few thoughts that may help set the stage. Um, you know, um, my wife and I, we recently celebrated 34 years of marriage. And then my oldest son is going to be 33 years old this fall. And also this fall, I would have been a, a appointed as a pastor for 20 years. And so in all those areas... Um, a lot of decisions have been made. A lot of judgments have been made. And I readily confess not all of them have been the best or not all of them have been correct. And some of that is because you make a decision and you don't have all the information. And sometimes the information is hard to get. Sometimes I can just be lazy. <laughs> I don't want to take the time. So I just make somewhat of a hasty decision and then get it wrong. Or sometimes uh, I make a decision that seems best and then being able, at this point in life, being able to look backwards and say, you know, that really put us in a trajectory that was not helpful. And you try to make course corrections and changes and, and make up for what was not the best decision at the time. Or sometimes especially in, in marriage and sometimes in parenting, I make decisions, render judgments out of selfishness. I just want my life to be comfortable or easy or I have a need. And so it's easy sometimes 
As people, you know, we make decisions, we render judgments, and we get it wrong. And there's this question in this passage that we'll read where Abraham asks this question, will the judge of all the earth do what is right? And so it's easy for us from a human perspective because sometimes we get things wrong. And then we can almost put God in that same level. And we can ask that question based upon what we see happening around us or what we experience in our life. We have this question. Will the judge of all the earth do what is right? So I just want to help set the stage as we get ready to um, work through our passage. So if you have your Bibles or it's on the screen behind you, we're going to read through Genesis 18, kind of the last part of it. We're going to start in start in verse 16. It says, The men got up from there and looked out over Sodom. And Abraham was walking with them to see them off. Then the Lord said, Should I hide what I am about to do? From Adam, or from Abraham. Abraham is to become a great and powerful nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will command his children and his house after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. This is how the Lord will fulfill to Abraham what he promised him. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is immense, and their sin is extremely serious. I will go down to see if what they have done justifies a cry that has come up to me, and I will find out. Or if not, I will find out. The men turned from there and went toward Sodom, while Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Abraham stepped forward and said, Will you really sweep away the righteous? With the wicked, what if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away instead of sparing the place for the sake of 50 righteous people who are in it? You could not possibly do such a thing to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. You could not possibly do that. Won't the judge of the whole earth do what is just? The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham answered, Since I ventured to speak to my Lord, even though I am dust and ashes, suppose the fifty righteous lack five. Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? He replied, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. Then he spoke to him again, Suppose forty are found there. He answered, I will not do it on account of 40. Then he said, let my Lord not be angry. I will speak further. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Then he said, so I venture to speak to my Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He replied, I will not destroy it on account of 20. Then he said, Lord, Let my Lord not be angry, and I will speak one more time. Suppose ten are found there. He answered, I will not destroy it on account of ten. 
When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he departed, and Abraham returned to his place. So, why don't we take a few minutes to pray? Um, what we often will do is have uh, you pray with a person next to you. So we'll take a minute to do that. So if you by yourself, feel free to move around, or you can just sit quietly in your own seat and just ask the Lord to use this time to really speak to our hearts, to give me the grace to speak clearly in, um, His truth. And in a, in a minute, I'll uh, interrupt you and, and pray for all of us together. So take a minute and pray now, please. Thanks. Father God, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the truth that is in your word that's been preserved for thousands of years that we can learn from Abraham and his life and his journey of faith. Just ask you to give us hearts that want to hear and respond and, and be changed by your transforming truth. Help God give me grace to communicate clearly uh, your truth, and we pray that all of us, Lord, would just be more in awe of who you are as a result of this time together this morning. We ask for your blessing on our time. In Christ's name, amen. So, um, this morning, with this passage, I divided it into three parts. It's an outline. The first part is Abraham's calling. And the second part is Abraham's intercession. And then lastly, the last verse is Abraham's confidence. So let's uh, let's talk about the first point here, Abraham's calling. That's kind of in the first part of the passage here in the first uh, several verses. We'll go read those again. The men, and in case uh, you're not familiar with the passage, um, there were three men that came to visit Abraham. And they, two of them were angels, and one was the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. And so they came, and they affirmed that by this time next year, Sarah, who's 90 years old, would have a baby, her very own son. And then after this interchange and sharing a meal together, the men got up. And um, this is where we're picking up. The men got up from there and looked over 
out over Sodom, and Abraham was walking with them to see them off. So that's kind of a courtesy thing. If you've, you've been hosting people, you will see them off. And then the Lord said, Should I hide what I'm about to do from Abraham? Abraham is to become a great and powerful nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. So this is a promise that God made to Abraham way back at the very beginning, 24 years ago, when he first left the earth. He's affirming, you know, there's some discussion, is God talking to himself, is Abraham here? And and my, my opinion is that God is saying this out loud to Abraham, so Abraham hears and understands. God knows what he's going to do. God doesn't deliberate, but I think he's stating this. So, Abraham... You are going to be a very special person in my plan for the whole world. And I want you to understand something that's very vital to this plan. And the reason is because you will be a great and powerful nation. And all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. And then he goes on in verse 19, For I have chosen him, so that he will command his children and his house after him to do what? To keep the way of the Lord. And how do we keep the way of the Lord? By doing what is just, by doing what is right and just. Then he goes on, This is how the Lord will fulfill to Abraham what he has promised. The way that Abraham will become a great and powerful nation is by commanding his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. So it's interesting that um, this word says, I've chosen him. And the word chosen there is to know. If you go back in Genesis 4.1, It says that Adam knew his wife Eve, and they conceived. And so it's interesting how the same Hebrew word, know, is the same word that God uses, that I've chosen Abraham. So it's like there's this intimate relationship. And even later in the New Testament, it says Abraham is a friend of God. So there's this unique and special relationship that God and Abraham have. And God says, I, I know him, I've chosen him. That he would command his children and his house after him. So God is saying, Abraham, I have something for you that I need you to pass on to the next generation in such a manner that they pass it on to the next generation. So they pass it on to the next generation and so forth and so on. Because you're going to become a great and mighty nation. And the whole world will be blessed through you. And so what did God entrust to Abraham? What did he command him to do? As a first patriarch, it says that to to keep the way of the Lord. So what's it mean to keep the way of the Lord? The word keep there is like guarding or trusting. So something that I've given you this to you, Abraham, and I want you to guard it. 
I want you to protect it. I want you to do it in such a way that you pass it on to the next generation so that they can have that same understanding, the way of the Lord, to the next generation. And then he gives a a little detail of how that's done. And it says, by doing what is right and just. So those words are closely related. Right is doing the right thing. And just, the, the term really means to judge. To be able to render an assessment and a judgment of something and, and make sure that it's right. So one question or one thought that I have is, how does that relate to us today? This is to Abraham. And in many ways, the Bible says that if you have placed your faith in Christ, you are a child of Abraham through faith. So in a sense, all, all believers have this same responsibility that was given to Abraham, really to guard or protect or the way of the Lord, and really understanding what's right and what is just. So I think every every believer, if you're just, you should be a disciple, you should be a follower of Christ, and you have a responsibility to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. It's a verse in, in Micah 6, 8. It's one of the minor prophets that God is it's instructing. He says, mankind, he has told each of you what is good, and what is, what is, what it is that the Lord requires of you, and what is, what are those things? To act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. Ephesians four, Paul gives instruction. And there's other verses throughout the Bible, but he says, "Therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, he was in Rome in prison at the time." said, I urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received. So as a believer, as a follower, as a disciple of Christ, we have a calling. And do our lives demonstrate, when people look at our lives, do we exhibit righteousness? Do we exhibit justice? Now, justice is kind of an interesting uh, topic. We could probably spend days literally days talking about it and we only have a few minutes here we live in a world today where justice is really misunderstood and misused human or worldly justice especially when you look at some of the wokeness thing that's going on in our society today it often confuses justice with what would be called fairness or equity, that we need to treat everyone fairly or equitably, that everyone needs to land in the same place. But what it does is it separates those two terms, righteousness and justice. And so they say we want to be just, but they leave out the righteous part of that. And so often this justice, the way it's used today in our society, is often used to justify sinful behavior that God would condemn. Or it's used to try to silence people that would hold to a biblical standard 
of what is right or what is wrong. I think part of what we need to do as believers in Christ is we need to have wisdom and discernment so that we can see through what the world says, this is what justice is, and say, well, is that what God would define as justice? Obviously, we need to treat people with love and compassion. Even if we disagree with them, it doesn't mean that we judge them and condemn them. But it does mean that we're able to, as believers in Christ, to see what's going on in our world and to be able to render an accurate, biblical assessment of what's right and what's true and understand that wait a minute, if justice leaves out the righteous part, it's really missing what God intended justice to mean. So I was trying to think through this and looking online and... Uh, one way to look at justice is, uh, uh, for this morning, is to judge or to make right by holding people accountable for not rightly relating to God, each other, and creation. If you use that definition, all of us have been unjust at times. We haven't related to God the way he deserves to be related to We haven't related to one another. Sometimes we're sinful or selfish. Or even creation, sometimes we're we're not as good stewards as we need to be. So that's just one one way to look at it. But, But I think it's very helpful when we think about, okay, what is my responsibility today to command and to hold on to the, the way of the Lord? I think that we need to have insight and understanding into what's going on in our world today. So a couple of things about justice, too. It, it, it can be both individual and collective. You know, individual that, hey, I made a mistake and I need to be held accountable. Even collective. It's interesting that God is judging the whole city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so there's, it's, in a sense, there's collective responsibility also in terms of justice. And then also there's, we need to recognize there's people who are, God has placed in authority to distribute justice. You know, there's judges and, and other officers and their, their role, their duty, their God-given role is to administer justice. <laughs> when something's done wrong, when people have been harmed, you know, you get a, you get a speeding ticket or you end up in, having to spend time in jail or whatever based upon what you've done. There's people, that is their God-given role, is to distribute justice. I think there's also a sense that there's a a community aspect of justice where how do we treat one another? Do we lie? Do we cheat? Do we steal? Or do we really hold each other in high regard and honor one another? And treat everyone as if they're an image bearer of God. Regardless of if we disagree with them or not. So we do have this responsibility really as a believer to administer justice by how do we treat people around us. Again, we could spend a lot more time talking about that area. <clears throat> I, mean, I think it's, it's helpful to understand the role that God has. 
And God had commanded Abraham in his, to pass on to his family and to his household after him to guard the way of the Lord, to protect it. And, and that's really something we need to do today as believers in Christ. Let's take a look at the second point of the outline. Let's look at Abraham's intercession. Verse 20, it says, Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is immense, and their sin is extremely serious. I will go down to see what they have done, if what they have done justifies a cry that has come to me. If not, I will find out. So it's interesting when you look at this. Didn't God already know what was in Sodom and Gomorrah? Of course, God knows. And so he's kind of relating this way to say, to help Abraham see that I'm going to personally go down and see what's going on and verify what I hear. And so it's not like God needed to, but it's a way to help Abraham understand that God is God will do this in a way that is is just. Interesting that that term um, extremely serious is like grave. It's almost like they've reached a point of no return. They have hardened their hearts. They've done so much sin. They've embraced it that they're at a point where there's no opportunity for repentance. And if that's the case, then God says, I have to judge them. I have to judge them, the whole city. And Cole will talk about that some next week in the next passage. So God is about to make a judicial investigation against Sodom and Gomorrah. So he uses the word, I will go down and see. So God sent two representatives to investigate the situations Cole will talk about next week. I guess I have a question to think about, to ponder. Just imagine that you are Abraham. And God just told you, these cities are going to be judged and they're going to be destroyed. How would you respond? What would be going through your mind? What would you be thinking about? Obviously, Abraham had his nephew Lot that lived there. And he could have, Abraham could have said, God, can you just, before you destroy the city, just remove Lot? Because I care about him. But but he actually did something more than that. You know, it's easy sometimes, and I can be this way as self-righteous. And you see somebody experiencing a consequence, they're getting what they deserve. You know, it's so easy to have a hardened heart towards people <clears throat> but Abraham he had rescued these people he knew they were sinful but yet what was his response it says that he um, he stepped forward and said it's almost like he engaged God in a, <laughs> in a way that he's encountering God he approached God boldly with a request. And what was his request? 
God, will you spare the city if there's 50 righteous people? Now, I don't know where 50 came from, and they negotiated all the way down to 10, and I don't fully understand where those numbers are from, but it's interesting that Abraham had such a heart. God, if there's 10 people, there's still hope. There's still hope that these 10 people can influence the city so that they can repent. So that they can be spared. I appreciate Abraham's heart that it wasn't just, yeah, just remove Lot and destroy the rest. That's what they deserve. It's like, God, will you spare the whole city? So I appreciate Abraham's heart and his example there of just wanting the city to be saved. You know, I I think when you think about the knowledge that there is a God in heaven who will act against unrighteousness, when you have that understanding, There's a responsibility that comes with that. We we have a chance to warn people. Actually, we need to do it in a winsome way. I went to Walmart yesterday, picked some things. There's this guy carrying a sign, preaching fire and brimstone. I don't know how winsome that was. But I appreciate that he was moved enough that people, knowing people are dying and going to hell, that he was doing something. So I do think when, when we understand that there is a righteous God who will act against the unrighteous, we have a, we have a responsibility to pray for them, to love them, to warn them, to share truth with them. So <clears throat> just want to make some observations about Abraham's prayer. I think even though it's an interchange, I think in many ways it is a prayer, it's a request, it's an intercession. And the first one is that Abraham had boldness and confidence before the Lord because of his relationship. It says that Abraham knew, or that God knew Abraham, or God had chosen him. So there's this relationship that God and Abraham had. Abraham understood that. And because of that, he was able to approach God's throne with boldness and with confidence. There's a verse in Hebrews 4.16 that says, author says, let us, as believers in Christ, approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. As a child of God, we have access to the Father. We have access to the Creator. Do we, do we take advantage of that privilege, of that position, of that opportunity? Because we can come before God boldly of the confidence, not on our merit, not because of anything that we could do or have done, but fully upon who Christ is and what He's done. 
Second point, I think Abraham, he appeals to God's unchanging character. <clears throat> it says, will the God, will the judge of all the earth judge correctly or do what is just? So he understands God. It's interesting, he really appeals both to God's justice and to God's mercy. So since he appeals to his justice, it's like, it would not be just for you to destroy the righteous along with the wicked. Then he appeals to God's mercy. Will you spare the whole city if there's this many righteous people? So Numbers 23, 19, um, this is where Balaam is hired by Balak, one of the kings of Canaan. And trying to curse the Israelites, he goes to different outside of the camp and trying to curse the nation of Israel. And he's unable to do that because they're God's chosen and blessed people. And Balaam tells Balak, God is not a man that he might lie. Our son a man that he might change his mind. Does he speak and not act or promise and not fulfill it? Not fulfill it? God is immutable. He's unchangeable because he's perfect. He can't ever change. And if the more we understand God's character, the more our prayers can petition God based upon his character. God, because you're loving, because you're merciful, will you work in this person's heart to help them understand their position before you, to help them understand their need for a Savior? And those are prayers that God wants to answer. Now, I appreciate, too, the third point is Abraham's appeal demonstrates fervent importunity. Now, Abraham went six times and kept lowering that number. He didn't just go with him, okay, if there's 50 and then stop. He goes, well, 50? Well, what if there's 45? How about 40, 30, 20, 10? It's like, how, how do we go before the Lord in our prayers? Are we desperate? Are we crying out? God, you have to work. You have to do something. In uh, Luke 11, the disciples go up to Jesus and say, teach us to pray. Then he gives them the Lord's Prayer. And then he gives him another illustration. He says, if there's a man who's asleep and a friend comes and knocks on the door, says, give me some bread. I have a guest that came and I don't have any. He says, the man won't get out of bed because he's a friend. But if the man is persistent, keeps knocking on the door, the guy's going to get up just because he's annoyed. He says, will you stop knocking on the door? Here's some bread. Leave me alone. And Jesus says, I tell you, even though he won't go up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. 
So when we pray before God, do we have this mindset of shameless boldness? I'm going to keep asking. I'm going to keep knocking. I'm going to keep seeking. I think we can learn from Abraham's prayers. This is what he did before the Lord. He just kept kept asking for God's mercy. Will you spare the city? And lastly, um, Abraham modeled humility before the Lord. You know, several <clears throat> times he says, I am but ashes and dust. And then, let my Lord not be angry. I think one thing, Second Corinthians 3, Paul is writing, it is not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything is coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. Now, God does not owe us anything, but we are his children, and he commands us to pray, to ask. And so we need to realize, remember our position before the Lord and be humble before him. The last point I want to make is uh, Abraham's confidence. So the passage ends, when the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he departed. And Abraham returned to his place. So I think Abraham reached the conclusion. I made my request known to God. He will do what is right. He will do what is just. Now he asked that question. Won't the judge of the whole earth do what is just? He was able to go home and rest and know that whatever is decided, God is just and God will judge correctly. You know, unlike me, when I sometimes will make decisions or render judgments, I'll get it wrong. I don't have all the information. Or I don't see unforeseen or unintended consequences. Or I'm selfish in the, in the way I made my decision. God is not that way. God knows everything. He, nothing is hidden from him. He fully understands the situation. He knows our thoughts and intentions of our hearts. And God knows the future. God is not surprised at all by the future. There's no unintended consequences with God's decisions. And God never makes a selfish decision. He's, he's self-sufficient. He doesn't need anything from us. He doesn't have any needs. He wouldn't be God. And so he is never in a position to make a decision or render a judgment from a selfish point of view. And so it's easy in our society today for people to question. Is it right? Is it just for God to do what he does or to judge? Or what the Bible says is true. It's really easy for people to do that because they separate the righteousness and justice. Or they don't have God's understanding and so it's easy to blame God. 
It's easy to judge the judge of all the earth. I don't agree with your decision, God. Are we really in a position to do that? But unfortunately, there's many people today who rail at God. This isn't fair. This isn't right. This isn't just. I have a different conclusion or a different understanding. But we're not really in a position to do that. And Abraham, he appealed. He interceded. Then he said, God, it's your decision. And I trust that you're going to do what is right and what is just. And I think even in our, in our own lives, there's things that happen to us. There's consequences <clears throat> to our lives, to our decisions. And we don't like them. You know, justice is, is an interesting thing. We like justice when we've been the one that's been harmed or someone we love has been harmed. But we're the ones, the offender, we want mercy. <clears throat> but, again, it's understanding that do we have peace? Do we have confidence? Thank God, because of who you are, <clears throat> that you will always render the correct and accurate judgment, justice, decisions. And Abraham was able to essentially go home with that. And we'll, Cole will talk next week <clears throat> about what happens. But ultimately, Abraham rested his case in God's righteousness. And he remained confident <clears throat> that the judge of all the earth would do the right thing. He didn't try to usurp God's right to be the judge. <clears throat> he didn't place demands on God. He really, he received no specific promise other than he wouldn't destroy the city of there ten righteous. <clears throat> and he was able to have peace and confidence, God, you will do what's right. So in closing, I just want to have a few application things that we can make. One is uh, to keep the way of the Lord. You know, we have a responsibility <clears throat> as a believer in Christ, and especially if you're a parent, especially a father, if you're in leadership of any capacity in a church, <clears throat> this responsibility is, is, is really on us. It's not what we say, but it's really how we live our lives. Are we people of integrity? Do our lives really line up with what we say and what we understand God's word to be true? Do we, are we compromising <clears throat> in any way? Are we being people of integrity? Secondly, pray for other people. Think, <clears throat> especially those of our friends and relatives and neighbors, co-workers that we know are lost. Because what's true is true. Whether, whether they believe it or not, whether we want to believe it or not, there will be a time every person will stand before the Lord. You're either going to have your sins forgiven through Christ or you're going to have to be accountable for your own sins apart from Christ before a holy God. You need to pray for them. They come to understand this reality. And then the third one is to have confidence in God. Even though he is a judge of all the earth, because of who he is, 
he will judge rightly and correctly. And we can have confidence in him based on his character. So you close the service, just want to uh, take a few moments to have communion. Uh, there should be some elements in uh, the seat in front of you or, or close by. And there's a little cup, and the cup reminds us that Christ's blood was shed. The wafer reminds us that his body was broken. So I share a verse, 1 Peter 3.18 in New American Standard. It says, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So Christ is the just, the perfect, holy, righteous one. We are the unjust, the ones who have committed sin against God and one another. And what he did is, through his sacrifice, he brought us into a relationship with God, that he might bring us to God. So I just encourage you as we um, all pray, uh, you can take a few moments to yourself and, and just reflect, remember, and be thankful for who God is and what he's done for us. God, thank you so much for uh, this time together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Abraham's example. Thank you that you are God that we can trust, that we can confidently follow and place our faith in. You will always judge rightly and correctly. Thank you that through faith in Christ, we don't have to experience your condemnation. We don't have to experience your wrath. Jesus, you took all of that upon yourself. Even though you lived a perfect life, you did that for us in order to bring us to God. Thank you. Through faith, we have a relationship with the Holy God. Not just today.